We are told in an earlier chapter of this book of Luke that Jesus knew that the time was drawing near for him to suffer and to die there on the cross. And because of that, he had, as the scriptures tell us, he had set his face towards Jerusalem. And then he had begun to travel in that direction with his disciples. And he wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a hurry because the time of his suffering had already been set even long before the foundations of the world had been laid. It was going to be at the time of that year's Passover celebration. But then in the meantime, he knew that he had many things that he needed to accomplish along the way, and so he did that, healing diseases and driving out demons and on and on, many things. But they all had their order and their time. And now here in today's text, we find Jesus and his disciples that are arriving in the village of Bethany. Bethany was this village that was just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And it was the village where some of his dearest friends lived. There was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So let me read this portion then in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him, approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. And that will not be taken away from her. As I have followed along with the Lord Jesus on his journey through the towns and the villages, preaching and teaching and healing the sick... As I do that, I need to always remind myself that none of the events that we read about within these scriptures occur by happenstance. Jesus knew exactly what was going to take place after he spent this time at Bethany. And so he was not in a hurry. He knew the timing of it. It's clear from these words that we're reading here today that God the Father had a specific and very organized plan that he was carrying out through the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And in reading these words, I'm reminded of a songwriter that I enjoyed some years ago. He wrote a popular song about God, and it was a song that envisioned God as being this great director of this grand symphony that's taking place all over the earth at every moment of every day. It's a symphony, and you can just imagine the director of the symphony up there guiding and directing everyone's part. And everyone on the earth, you and I, are called to join in and play a part in that symphony. Now, curiously, that word picture is an excellent one. It's an excellent word picture. As I mentioned a moment ago, we know from these scriptures and even from our own experiences as Christians, that God truly is sovereign. We have to believe that if we believe in Christ. God is sovereign and He is providential. He reaches His hand in and He causes events to take place. 
All the matters of life, folks, were set into motion long before the foundations of the earth were laid. Some of my favorite scriptures that tell about God's plan and His watch care over us are given to us in the book of Acts chapter 17. And I want you to listen carefully to this. Verse 26 of Acts 17. There we're told from one man, He, this is God, from one man, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, listen to these words, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. These words describe how sovereign and how providential God really is. Much of who you and I are today was set in motion by God long before the earth came into being. And similar words to these can be found all throughout these scriptures. All of them telling us that God truly is sovereign and He is providential and that He guides and He directs the activities and the pathways of men. We love to quote Billy Graham as saying that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. But folks, long before Billy Graham ever said those words, God spoke those same words through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for your harm, to bring you a future and a hope. God really does have a plan for all of the days of our lives long before we reach those days where we live in them. He has a purpose and He has a pathway for us to walk. And He wants us to walk in that pathway. And He wants to guide and direct our steps. All that remains for you and me to do is to submit our free will and the nature of that free will to Him. We're told in Proverbs chapter 3, familiar words that you have heard and quoted so many times yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. He'll guide every step. Folks, God truly is that great director of all that takes place on this earth. But it's only if and as we become willing to take that step of surrendering our free will to Him and to His direction. Acknowledging Him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. And then He'll be able to direct our paths. But it's only if and as we submit to Him. And I know that sounds strange. It sounds as if we can actually thwart the will and the direction of the Almighty God. But it's true. We can. He has given us that privilege to go off in the wrong direction saying and doing and acting the way that we choose, being a hindrance to His better plan and His purpose. Think about this analogy. Right at this moment, across our whole world, men and women are arguing and they're fussing and they're saying awful things to each other. Do we, for a moment, think that those are the things that God intends for them or us to say? No, they aren't. And let me ask about you personally. What about the last time 
that you said something ugly or unkind to someone. You were impatient with them. Did God want you to say those words? Did he want you to have those thoughts? Or did he have other words that he wanted you to say, but you didn't say them? The truth is, folks, our salvation brought with it an already well-defined plan and proper way to handle all the matters of our ordinary daily life. And we need to do nothing else except to ask God for the part that he has written for us and then to get about doing it. Whenever he directs us, we get about doing our part. These truths are so well illustrated for us in this scripture passage that we're studying here today. Here in this circumstance involving these two dear women, Mary and Martha, we see God's foreordained plan and his purpose moving on forward. God had a role for each of them to play. Mary immediately, you'll notice, recognized her role. And immediately she sat down at the feet of the Lord Jesus to learn his teaching and to worship him and to obey him. And just like Mary, Martha was also probably supposed to sit down at Jesus' feet. But Martha's natural tendency, her natural personality, was to get busy with the more practical matters like cooking food and serving the guests. And those tendencies, folks, are not necessarily wrong all of the time. They're not. On some occasions, those things will be the exact right thing for her to do. The key to knowing when we're to do certain things is to always keep our attention on the one who's directing our path. And then we'll know. And that was true for Martha. She was looking down at the work to be done and not up at the great director. And so she didn't see his direction for her to take. And here also, folks, you'll notice that Martha showed another of her human tendencies. That of being judgmental. And that of wanting to decide what other people should be doing. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, you note here, it's very subtle. But it's a very serious pitfall that we get in. That of actually being judgmental towards God. Blaming God, accusing Him of being unrighteous. Accusing the very epitome of love itself of not caring. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That's a common snare that we can get caught up in. That of blaming God for the misfortunes that befall us. We say to Him, you're God. You could have. And you should have done something about my situation. But you didn't. You didn't. Now I'm going to hold you accountable, God. Now I'm going to be angry at you. And folks, I've heard very sincere preachers, very sincere counselors saying that it's all right to be angry at God. That he understands and that he sympathizes with our suffering. And maybe... Maybe in some circumstances that might be okay. But may I caution us. May I caution us to take great care in being angry at God. You and I don't have the wisdom within us 
nor do we have the authority to judge our righteous and holy God. There is no greater love, no greater caring than that of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He cares for us deeply. He cares about everything that we're doing. And when something goes amiss, you and I need to first, instead of looking at Him and blaming Him, you and I need to look first within our own souls. Most often, that's where we're going to find the things that went wrong. Within our own soul. Now here with Martha, it seemed that she let some of her inborn personality, those natural traits of her personality, to get her frustrated. To cause her words then to get out of hand. Now again, perhaps cooking and serving was a natural ability of Martha. Put into her at birth by God Himself as a common grace to help her to do all the many needs and demands of daily life. And those common graces, folks, they are good. But Martha failed to accept that the same common grace may not have been given to her sister Mary. And beyond that, there's a time and a place for all things. And perhaps this was a time when those common matters needed to be simply set aside. But hidden even deeper within this incident is this revelation from God that as we begin to truly surrender our lives over to Him, that He'll change us. He'll change us and He'll begin to put new attitudes and new behaviors within us. Attitudes and behaviors that are different. And they go beyond and supersede our natural inborn ways and our abilities. Those ways that we were before we came to know Him as Savior. Because in our new birth, as we receive the Spirit, His Holy Spirit, His Spirit brings with Him new and different gifts and fruits that we never had before. And with those new spiritual gifts and fruits, we'll desire things and we'll do things, new things that we never did before. Those special gifts are spoken about in the book of Romans and in the book of 1 Corinthians and also in the book of Ephesians where God tells us about the gifts that He spreads abroad in our hearts in order to serve Him. In His explanation of them, God emphasizes that not all people have the same spiritual gifts. So important. You and I must not expect other people to have the same spiritual gifts that we have or that someone else has. Now, yes, many may have similar gifts, but each one with a unique and different manner and way of going about it. Listen how God words this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Through the grace given to me, this is the Apostle Paul, saying, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's what we do. Why isn't she helping me, Lord? He says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, we each have different measures of faith, some stronger than others. We can't condemn others because they don't have the strength of faith that we have. He goes on to say, For as we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ. And listen, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing, differing according to the grace that's given to us. Now again, 
at that very moment that you and I received Christ as our Savior, everything in us changed. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Now those words don't imply that the personality that we had before our salvation will be taken out of us. Unfortunately, that's not so. Experience tells us that that doesn't take place. What does happen is that a new heart and a new spirit is put within us. And as we yield our spirit to God's spirit who now lives within us, we begin to do things differently. But with that being said, we know also that our old spirit does not give up easily. Oftentimes, our old tendencies and old ways, they draw us down those old familiar paths and create problems for us. And we can see that in what was taking place there with Martha. She was a believer, yes. But her old ways were reaching in and causing her to be judgmental and demanding of Mary and of Jesus. Our responsibility, and yes, our struggle, is to give up on those old natural tendencies and abilities that are no longer profitable and to look to the new spiritual gifts and abilities that God imputes to us. Now, before that moment when Mary received Christ as her Savior and Lord, she might never, before that moment, have been a humble learner who would sit at a teacher's feet. We don't know what her personality was like, but it may not have been that type of personality. But here we can see the working of the Holy Spirit and Mary giving herself over to what Jesus calls the good part. I love that expression. In verse 42, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken from her. But what about Martha's part? Do these words mean that Martha was not doing a good part? Perhaps, but perhaps it doesn't. We don't know. But we do know from Jesus' gentle rebuke that Martha should not have been worrying about all the things that frustrated her and made her complain. Perhaps also Jesus was saying to Martha that she was getting the doing, the doing part of her new calling ahead of one of the more necessary parts. And that is first to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to simply be. Learn how to simply be in Christ. And folks, that's a clear message to you and me. Too quickly, too quickly, we can get about the doings of life because that's our natural personality. And that can be harmful if we have not first learned how to sit quietly at the feet of Jesus to simply learn how to be in Him, to learn how to simply be in Christ. But then what about all of those needful things like food preparation and serving? They need to be done. Folks, a truth that you and I need to grasp and hold on to is that God really does know ahead of time all those many things that need to be done from the sitting at Jesus' feet to the cooking and the serving. And if God can create this whole world with just a command of His voice, He can surely make all of those arrangements and take care of all those needful things of daily life. Because we have so many of those. Oh, we've had kids to raise, food to cook, houses to clean, and 
baseball games and football games to go to. And, and also, we had to work eight hours a day to provide for a living. But listen, within all of that, there was still plenty of time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And folks, listen, you and I need to quit saying that we don't have time. We don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. God is able to make time within your and my schedule. He can make time for Him and what He wants of us if we'll simply surrender that to Him. And listen, if you don't do that, if you and I don't do that, and especially if we don't intentionally set aside time for devotions with our family, you're not only robbing yourself, of those precious moments of sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're also robbing your loved ones who are there with you that you would involve in those special times. Here in this passage, Martha unknowingly was about to rob Mary of her precious time of sitting at the feet of Jesus. If Martha had forced her own opinions upon Mary, Mary might have gotten up and gone into the kitchen missing out on what Jesus calls the good part. Now, before we close, let me ask, are we robbing ourselves and are we robbing our loved ones of those precious moments with Christ that he calls the good part? Some years ago, God provoked my heart to consider those things. He brought to mind the scriptures that told me Train up your child in the way that he'll go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And he also brought me to those words in the book of Ephesians where I'm told to continually shower my wife with the Word of God. And I decided that I had no choice. I had no choice but to figure out a way to make all of that happen. And what I did was I began getting up earlier each day providing time for my own private devotions with the Lord, and then scheduling a devotion and prayer with my wife and my children. And folks, it was the right thing to do. It was the good part. And it blessed us and our family beyond measure. So yes, these words that Jesus spoke to Martha, they're for you and me also. Before we get about the busy and the needful things of the day, You and I must first get about the good part. The good part of sitting at the feet of Jesus. He will surely provide us time for it all. Listen to these words and we'll close. Verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you that there is a good part and you've invited us to it, to partake in that good part. And so I pray for ourselves, for each one of us, that we would first stop and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of him and worship him before we get on to the doing of life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.